to the Pardon My Parsing Podcast. My name's Charlie Sauer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kelly Marsh. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm great. I feel, you know, it's spring. I feel like spring is in the air, except for everyone who got obliterated by snow in California in the north this week. Um, but I feel great because I live in the south where it's warm and the tree pollen is covering our back table and uh, my nose. And I just, you know, I'm excited about the I'm excited about what the future holds. Uh, as you know, I'm in Virginia. <laughs> Yesterday we got up to uh, 80 degrees, and wow. so on the Jeep I replaced it out, pl- replaced the uh, like fabric doors so I could have fun taking them on and off a lot easier than the big doors. It turns out it's going back down to freezing this weekend. Oh yeah, so you cre- I get to replace them. It's you know when we record this, it's not even March 1st yet, so you got to be careful about that in Virginia because this is what you call fake summer or early <laughs> not summer. Yeah. Let's see. So today we are talking about trains. Choo choo. I love trains. Um, I love trains too. Why do you love trains? I grew up literally next door to the train track. We had a house that was, I'm guessing, 50 yards from the train tracks. And when when I was a kid, it was all it's all it was all freight trains. No passenger trains. No Amtrak. Anything like that. It was all freight. Um, when I was a kid though, you know, like a friend would come stay over at the house or whatever. There's a train at two 30 in the morning. I slept through it because we lived, you know, with the train whistle, (laughs) but anyone that come stay over or whatever, like, "Ah!" and I think we were the first family in the, on the street to get a remote control because the train goes by, turn up the volume on the TV, trains do gone, turn the volume back down on the TV, (laughs) but it was good times. I, I've, I, didn't grow up uh, next to trains necessarily, but uh, I I always loved trains. And then I read uh, Atlas Shrugged, and mm-hmm. the kind of trains play this large role in it. And so I had a different respect for the people that actually had the vision to build these huge networks and make these large investments on kind of an idea that hadn't really been seen, but has really shaped everything that we've done. And then we get, uh, then we come to you and I, um, the, the train deregulation that, uh, Jimmy Carter did kind of reawakened me to kind of a, how important the, the trains are to our economy, but then be kind of a whole new, uh, era of politics that I hadn't recognized before. So I'm, I fell even kind of more in love with trains. I mean, they are kind of this like perfect when you want to talk about economics um, kind of the history of trains and regulations. You can even get into oil and Rockefeller and what he did with trains um, is kind of amazing. So I think trains are this like little microcosm. They're not little. It's billions of dollars. But there you can easily talk about kind of every economic principle when you're talking about trains, which I think makes them even a little more fun. I would guess and this is pure guess on my point, but I would guess the average American does not appreciate the amount of cargo and goods that are shipped on trains from automobiles to coal to chemicals, whatever, whatever it is, you know, um, that it's how it gets across the country and how it gets to that supply chain thing that we keep talking about over the last year or so. Right. I mean, yeah, the trains are yeah. vital. They're very important. Now here's why we're doing this speech. And uh, you and I aren't, uh, train conductors. Uh, I used to have aren't... a hat though. I used to have a hat <laughs> like that. I, 
My great uncle was a train conductor. Had a hat. Yeah, he was a train. My great uncle was a train conductor for real. True story. Um, we we don't know really what happened. The investigation's still going on. We now know that there is an overheated bearing. Truthfully, I don't know the regulations about bearings, but from the uh, first report that comes out, it sounds like there was a problem. The problem was noticed when it should have been noticed. It would have been nice if it was noticed before, but it sounds like the train, uh, the company itself um, has lower parameters than even the regulation state. So they saw the problem, they hit the brakes, uh, and then everything started to happen after that. So it's a bad thing for the people in Ohio. Hopefully everything gets fixed. I believe the train company has insurance that should help clear all of this up. But why we're doing this is because of the kind of political fallout and the political fight around all of this. So uh, the train derailment happened and there was I saw some comedian that uh, went in and he's like, um, uh, he was talking about Pete hearing about it, and it was like somebody came and whispered to Pete, like, you know, somebody just hit the second tower, and just like the president, uh, President Bush at the time didn't didn't do anything. Pete Buttigieg heard of this train derailment, and then went on to give a a speech about needing more more equality in the transportation system instead of dealing with the issue. And so, as soon as that happened, it started turning this into this political fight. And so now we have, you know, Donald Trump visited the site and delivered water to people and gave a campaign speech while Ohio is still trying to figure out if they can drink their water or not. And Pete Buttigieg is talking about equality. So we just have this huge mess on our hands. And so finally, I think it was yesterday, Pete actually went there. So that would be, I think it was the uh, like 24th of February. And uh, but the day before is when he delivered this speech. So I just find it interesting that the the right is using this to hit the left. And then the left seems to be responding with we need more regulation, which, of course, is what the left's kind of main claim to fame if they wanted to claim it would be. So I think it's not just as train a perfect microcosm. I think this issue is something that could become a bigger thing, which I'm not looking forward to. But at the same time, I think it's important to kind of talk about it at this beginning stage. So this is a speech that uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, gave. He's the transportation secretary under President uh, Biden. Oh, I almost did what I'm going to Obama. Let me fix it a little bit. Yeah, it's a because he hadn't gone to Ohio yet. And so this is an interview. But the reason I like the interview a little bit more than the speech is because we actually get um, a little pushback on the secretary while he's giving, uh, he's, you know, like you're points. in an interview, yeah. you're trying to deliver your talking points, but the interviewer keeps pushing back. So it's a little more confrontational than we would just get in a speech. Yeah. And I just want to call back to what I did. I, I, I almost said President Obama and that's a gaffe on my part, but I think the press secretary for Biden did the same thing the other day. <laughs> Called Biden, President Obama. So I don't feel so bad because I made a mistake and other people make mistakes. Let's go ahead and hear what Pete has to say. All right. So Pete gets introduced and uh, he starts off. There are several things that we're working on, even while we continue to respect the work of the independent NTSB, the National Tra Transportation Safety Board, which for good reason is independent from my department. And 
I just like this start because it's saying, um, well, we're here, but you know, this independent organization that I don't control, they're really the ones that are going to be responsible for everything. So it's like, he starts off the answer by saying, Hey, you know, I'm showing up for appearances sake, but realistically, if you have anybody to blame, it's going to be them and they're independent from me. So <laughs> let's just, let's just make that clear. And he did the same thing in his Ohio speech, um, which it, I don't know. It, to me, it's like transparent, but I think that in the long run, it isn't. And they will, uh, because I don't know, we just talked about the bearings. It sounds like everything went the way that it should have gone by regulations and even possibly better than uh, the regulations would point out, except for then a tragedy still happened. So, um, you know, he's trying to trying to get away from it. It's the old uh, uh, it's the old fortunate son defense. It ain't me. If you know yeah. that song by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Okay, off to off it, to Pete. It, it's a good one. Yeah. It'll take a while for their report to come through, but we don't have to wait for that report in order to take certain steps that we were calling for and taking right now, which is kind of a different tune than he was singing just a couple of days before this. Which it, it's awesome. <sighs> I think that Pete Buttigieg is very talented, but he's a part of he's a, a a new younger generation of politician. And there's this idea that they're kind of um, I don't their way of talking is that they are above the issue that they're necessarily confronting or that they're faced with. And it's a way of so then they just ignore things. Now, all politicians have always ignored kind of like the questions asked to them or uh, have ignored things. And this is bipartisan on both sides. But I I find the younger generation, uh, uh, AOC is one of my favorite examples of it. She's just amazing at putting off an insult like it, it doesn't matter and then like making her own insults and they feel like they stick better. And I... I'm I've never been able to emulate it. It's not a maybe it's a, just a personality cha difference, but it's really interesting to me. Uh, today, we're going to push a three part drive on safe on rail safety. I like, you know, he's been killed on this for a month and now they have a three part drive on rail safety. Uh, we are continuing to continuing to drive forward on a rule that will require minimum staffing on trains at a time when the rail industry has been pushing to be allowed to have as few as one person at a minimum, there need to be two. Um, let's talk about this for a second, but uh, I want to point out that I think that this is actually a disputed question. I believe that there was pushes under the uh, Obama administration as I think where it started. And, um, looking at how many people needed to be on trains and there was like cost benefit analysis of, of what they're doing. That said, Pete's asking for more regulations on trains and just making kind of a blank statement here. He's going to push for more as we go through this, but this was what Carter did. Carter deregulated trains and he didn't deregulate necessarily how many people worked on trains, but it's, Instead of following that principle, and Republicans do this as well, too, uh, especially now that they've moved in a populist direction, but it it's like 
The antithesis of what the Democrats did right in the past is what Pete's calling for now. He's just doing it to cover his ass. I'm I'm in favor of at least one person being in the engine at all times. Because I saw that movie with Denzel Washington where the train got away. And uh, it was actually filmed in that little town that I was talking about that I grew up. It, part of it. Part of it was filmed out there. So, uh, yeah. Got to have somebody in the in the engine. I don't know. We'll have a Tesla engine soon enough, right? Yeah, but what about the Russians? What if they hack it? <laughs> what if they hack it? <laughs> okay. Uh, you win. We in defense of in defense against Russia, we always need someone right. at the wheel. It, they need to be dressed like Rambo, though. No, that's fine. I have no problem with that. <laughs> uh, we're working on th- we're working on it through the regulatory process. A second thing is that I've directed the Federal Rail Administration to conduct a stepped up, focused inspection program on routes that are carrying certain kinds of hazardous materials. Um. This is crazy to me. It's not crazy to me. We should look at the routes that are carrying hazardous materials. What this is, is it's going to be this political football of the NIMBYs, the not in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And as you yeah. pointed out, stuff has to get shipped. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's sneakers. Sometimes it's shirt. Sometimes it's corn. Sometimes it's plastic. And sometimes it's hazardous materials to, to make those other things. And so I just look at this and I'm like, oh man, this is everybody's going to say not coming through here. And it, it's wild. Um, I've know a little bit about the train safety. I've, I've been close to, uh, one of the people that was creating the like nuclear casts that were carrying the like really bad stuff and the amount of tests that they go through and how much damage that those things can take. I my assumption is is that these are pretty close, um, but it sounds like what happened in Ohio was a a fluke, and so maybe it should be looked into. But if they're going to look at these routes, we're in trouble, and that is only going to if they're going to look at the routes further. They've already looked at these routes. Then in that case, we're going to have even more problems. I mean, because there's you know when trains started, like cities grew up around train tracks. Right. That was. That was where you where you built things. And so, uh, I don't know, unless we move whole cities away from trail tracks, we're going to have to move train tracks to accommodate any changes. And so it's uh, it's pretty bad. Trains and water. That's where the cities were built near water and where they were built the trains. Yep. Uh, we need to work on the bigger picture, too. That's where I'm calling Congress in to do things like. Raising the cap on fines so we can better hold rail companies accountable when there are violations. I also like that one because he's basically saying, and he's going to say it again here in a minute, but um, he's saying we need to find this company more for what they've done. The problem is, is according to what we've seen so far, it doesn't really look like they did anything. So uh, I don't know that that's the case and it's going to come out. But as far as what we've seen, everything went to plan until disaster struck. And, you know, a disaster is a disaster. Uh, I think the NTSB director said there's no such thing as an accident. I agree. There's reasons for accidents. But I will say that there was likely planning to stop all of this. There's regulations in place that were followed and it doesn't sound like they could have been much more t- 
tighter of a regulation than they were. And if they are tighter, then other problems are going to start happening. But this is one of those like, yeah, he's trying to attack big business, but it sounds like they're not going to get attacked at all. And that's going to cause a problem for him. All right. I I keep seeing this video that I can't independently corroborate is accurate, but I'm told, you know, it's a train coming down the tracks and it's, you're ahead of the train and, and you can see the rails and the rails are just, you know, they look like a just totally bent in all kinds of different directions. How does the train even stay on it? And, you know, and the, the quote is, this isn't a third world country. This is Ohio. I, I don't know if it is or not, but isn't that the federal government's job to fix those rails? I don't, uh, I don't know where that falls. Uh, no, Liber- the, the libertarian tra- Charlie. I believe the train company makes the uh, they own the they own the train tracks. In fact, one of the biggest things that uh, I've uh, one of the things that I work on is having the federal government not take over the train right. train tracks sure. or the train companies um, because uh, they want to do this. But look, uh, the amount of money that this is going to cost and like we don't have to look at the fines are. Uh, the current highest fine is 250000 per incident. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fines aren't, they aren't de minimis, but, you know, relatively compared to the cost of the cleanup and uh, compared to the cost of everything else that sure. this company is going to have to deal with, they're de minimis. And so the, like, they don't want to have the trains messed up. And that I would say that if the government was in charge of them, uh, you would have like five layers to get through before you could get a, a train track fix. But sure. in this case, this is something they would want to fix right away. So my assumption is um, either not a real track or um, that would be my assumption, but I would have to see the video. I haven't seen it. And, uh, uh, but you know, these companies want to fix these tracks. That's the, yeah. It doesn't do, it doesn't do them any like. good to have stuff that you know causes derailments. Right. I get no. there's also people that would say, well, you know, but they don't want to spend the money. Well, you know, you're going to spend the money one way or another if you're figuring it out. So, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, well, yeah. fixing, you can fix it's a, a lot, lot of track for $250,000. Yeah. And then if you add in the whatever their insurance is going to pay and whatever uh, right. their increased rate is going to be, if they have bad, bad rails, then it would it would take care of that pretty quickly. So I just don't see it. Uh, so the interviewer chimes in, but is there anything that the transportation department could have done sooner to avoid this from happening in the first place? Well, our personnel were on the ground within hours of this incident, but I do not think that every rail incident calls the question, but I do think that every rail incident calls the question on how we can strengthen the regulation of rail safety in this country. That isn't even a perfect non-answer. That was just a straight avoidance on the yeah, first one, right? He did his whole whole premise was well, the question was can we could we have done anything before the derailment and his answer was we were there several hours after the derailment. I mean, that's where he's, <laughs> it's not an it's a non-answer perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, and he he comes back around to it there, but that was like, whoa, man, let's just the answer the answer is likely uh, should have been uh, yes if the Trump administration wasn't trying to deregulate uh, trains, then we would have been in a better place. I, that would have been the correct talking point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe not for a secretary, but I, I 
he he blames the Trump administration at different points. And so I feel like that should have been the answer there. But at the same time, it's still the wrong answer. So it, right. it doesn't uh, it it doesn't work. Uh, he continues. Now, that is something that the rail industry has fought, but that we have been raising the bar on since we got here and will continue to do again. Um, the rail industry is just trying to be more efficient there. They don't want trains to derail. It's the financial interest of them. It's for their employees, all of that. And um, then he's saying that they're pushing against realistically the only thing that the, the left has really done well in the past couple of decades. I guess that's like four decades, huh? All right. That's yeah. a while that I'm pushing yep. back. Uh, look, whether it's the crew staffing role or whether it's the regulations around the strength of the tanks containing the material that tr that transits, again, I'm not going to get ahead of the NTSB's finding on some of the specific root causes in this incident, but we know enough to know that it's long past time to continue the work of raising the bar on rail safety. I I think we'll just let that stand. I, I mean, um. I've already pointed out that the incentives are for these train companies to have not have anything happen to what they're carrying. Right. And they do know that there are derailments. I think Tucker Carlson said, I think there's a, a thousand derailments a year. Uh, most of those derailments happen in like the train yard that are like, uh, like a little fender bender, like a train hits into another train in the yard. Um, and that shouldn't happen. Right. But at the same time, it does happen. It's not really dangerous, but that's the majority of them. Other train derailments do happen as well, um, though, and the train companies know this. So they're going to want to have everything in good containers. And that's just kind of <laughs> that's, right. That's economics 101. Like the company doesn't want to lose money. Uh, we're continuing our work on that. Since there seems to be some newfound bipartisan interest in doing something to untie our hands and make it possible for us to do more. Awesome. They're going to try to take over the railroads. I, this is just, it's so weird when even, even if the company's proven to follow all of the rules and that there isn't an infraction or there's only one and it's a minor infraction that didn't cause the derailment, whatever, uh, the federal government shouldn't take over the railroads flat out. All right. Interviewer comes back in. What about the rail companies themselves? Specifically in this instance, how are you holding this rail company accountable? Well, first of all, we're going to hold them accountable to the fullest extent of the law on any violations from Norfolk Southern that contributed to this disaster. I, I like that. I, I hate that answer. But he just um, repeat he just repeated the question basically. How are you going to hold them yeah. responsible? We're going to hold them responsible. That was hey, his answer. But the, it's awesome to me because uh, again he I don't even know I'm sure that he had draft preliminary reports or his people had draft preliminary reports. Given by the fact that he didn't show up until like the day after this, he might not have he might not have seen them at this point, or his staff might not have briefed him on it yet. But it does sound like there might be no violations here. So it it's just interesting that it it's going to come out that way. Like what? So what if you can't hold them accountable for anything? Meanwhile, the EPA is holding them responsible for the cleanup. 
I know the EPA administrator, administrator Michael Regan. I guess he continues on. I, Michael Regan has been on the ground today emphasizing just that. But one of the reasons that I'm asking Congress for help is that right now there is a cap on the toughest fines that we can impose, about a quarter of a million dollars per violation. Uh, so first off, this is a short speech. And I keep stopping because these answers just all seem so egregious to me. But um, they're trying to... I can't tell, and maybe you can answer this, Kelly. Is that statement saying that we're trying to raise the fines on this company after the thing happened? Because that's nuts, and that'll change all business in the U.S. It sounds to me like they're trying to, he's going back and referring back to Congress uh, and trying to get the fines raised for future incidents. I don't, I didn't hear, in my mind, I didn't hear because of this specific we're going to try and do more, but I think, that, yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I think that that's fair. I just, that in that case, if we take it as that, then this is a non-sentence because he's, they're not holding this company. Res- I don't think that this, by the preliminary report, it doesn't sound like this company needs to be held responsible for anything that said, um, this statement doesn't answer her question at all. It's basically just talking about future companies, but he doesn't lay that out. And if he did lay it out and they were talking about this company, then that is even more scary because that's, that's like, well, I did this all by the books and they're like, yes, but we're still going to find the heck out of you. Watch what businesses do after that. I mean, you, you don't, now you don't know uh, what gray areas are going to get hit in the future. And from the sounds of it, Norfolk Southern was operating not just in the gray area or close to the regulation. They were going further away from the regulations or cl- or further towards safety than anybody. Uh, when you're thinking about multi-billion dollar freight companies, I don't think that is enough enough to have the deterrent effect that we need as a regulator. One of the many areas where I'm asking Congress to stand up, frankly, is to the rail industry and go the extra mile to help us put more strength in our toolbox. Um, just so this is one of those, uh, the right uses this as well and the left uses it. But when you talk about a multi-billion dollar industry, yes, they have so much money in cars and tanks and rail. Um, you get to the billion pretty quick, but at the end of the day, they're trains, um, transporting stuff and people are fighting for the lowest dollar that they can to transport things. And so like when that's happening, uh, like the multi-billion dollars isn't giving you a, a huge profit percentage. So like, you know, baseball, football, uh, Hollywood, those guys all have huge profit percentages. So when you like, to me, if you wanted to talk about like how much money people are making on something, if you could make more money, uh, like investing it, like then maybe it's not a super profitable industry. Uh, did they actually break safety protocols here? So again, this is before the preliminary report came out. That again is the outcome of an investigation and I'm going and I'm not going to get ahead of the results of that investigation. 
What I will say is that Norfolk Southern is a multi-billion dollar railroad company that has stood with its peers to push back on regulation after regulation to try to water down, weaken, or in some cases, remove important rail safety rules. And too often they get in their, that too often get in their way. I mean, yes, government gets in business's way. Uh, the Carter's thing was to get the government out of business's way. And lo and behold, we had an economic boom. Pete's pushing for more regulation here. Yeah. yeah I, can I, I don't want to get too far off the stated purpose today, but so Pete was uh, the mayor of Fort Wayne, Indiana, right? That's where he yep. started. Does he have, I, I, I mean, I know that he, he ran for president and, you know, he's, he's a good Democrat, a good soldier and good, you know, following like, does he have any experience in transportation? I, like, I, I don't know why he's the transportation secretary. Where, where did that come from? I think that he was a <laughs> uh, a good presidential contender, yeah. and he was good on the stage. As I said, he's good at speaking, and he has that kind of um, – he's a charismatic young politician, and so President Biden gave him a, gave him a role. And I think semi-unfortunately for President Biden in this case, he keeps getting pushed with – uh, major issues as yeah. the secretary of transportation yeah. and it's exposing kind of that he's still young. And um, we haven't seen that. We there's a uh, Lena Khan of the FTCs, another young kind of um, she, she was more of an academic, but she was a young academic that uh, president Biden appointed. And that one there is causing problems too, as we've, like she's in the middle of kind of a, a political storm around large companies right. and not dealing with it well. And so, and we see Pete Buttigieg here um, being faced with these kind of major transportation problems and not dealing well with it. So I think that Biden got, maybe it was a little carried away with trying to look younger or mm. have a younger administration. And now we're seeing the fallout. Gotcha. Uh, I think the rail industry needs to move immediately to take certain steps like protect whistleblowers in the industry. They need to proactively let states know when they're coming through with hazardous materials. They need to finish the job and get sick leave to their workers because a healthy workforce is a safe workforce. Now, pop quiz, Kelly. Do rail workers have sick days? Uh, I'll take sick days for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> they do. Yes. They have sick days. Yes. Here's your thousand points. Thank you. Boom. <laughs> um, what he's talking about is a thing that the uh, a minority union was pushing for. The Biden administration glommed onto it, and a couple of Republicans even got onto it as well, trying to push populism to its fullest. But like they wanted, it was like up to 52 weeks of paid sick days. Really? <laughs> like, it was it was crazy, like exactly what was being asked for. But they they do have sick days. They have the, a Cadillac healthcare plan that's better than what you and I have by a long shot. In fact, I consider it it's one of the kind of biggest wastes that we can point to in the like healthcare system are these Cadillac plans because you get once you get up to like so much in healthcare, you you don't end up getting like your 
that marginal dollars value out of it. Right. But it sounds good because you have all of this coverage. You're just never going to use it. Right. Um, I, I just, I, it's sometimes like he's, he goes on track and then he makes the political statement. That's like more political than he needed to be. And so that was, he just kind of crossed that line with me there. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, I don't, I don't have a stance, I think, on whistleblowers in, in industries. Um, but, you know, letting states know when hazardous stuff is going to come through, I think makes sense. But we've already discussed that's going to be a political football. Sure. Can you say, like, especially after this, um, I'm, you know, Mayor may judge, I'm going to bring this dangerous chemical through your state. And then Mayor Pete has to say yes or no or okay. Right. But now it's on Pete. So when the, when the fallout happens, it, it gets put on the local politician instead of the federal government. And so it's just another way that they're kind of trying to pass the buck. Um, we're going to continue pressing ahead on formal requirements and regulations. I'm asking Congress to push ahead on rules, but industries shouldn't wait for us to force them to do the right thing. Uh, the interviewer, you have said that you would visit East Palestine when the time is right, but it's been two weeks since the de derailment. When is the time right? I'm planning to go, and when I do, I will be focused on action, not on politics, not on show. In the early days, I have been respecting the role of the independent NTS, the role of the in, independent NTSB plays and staying out of their way. But we are now entering the policy phase of our response to this. Even as NTSB continues finalizing their work, this is the right time for us to be looking at immediate steps from US DOT. All right, back to the first one. I will be focused on action, not on politics, not on show. This is like the day before he visited um, Palestine. Yeah, and I, uh, I know um, Trump and J.D. Vance, who's the new senator from Ohio, showed up after like 10 days after the accident, and they caught from the left, oh, just holy hell. <laughs> Why did it, take, what did it take you 10 days to show up? But Trump's doing a campaign stop, basically, and J.D. Vance is there as the senator. So, but... uh yeah, Buttigieg, Buttigieg, however you pronounce it, it wasn't there yet either. Yeah, I wonder if he knew at this point that Trump was going to show up. Sure, but I also wonder, like, I think you have to say this line. But Pete visiting there, and this is where I find it funny. I mean, there is no difference that Pete visiting is going to make. Right. Honestly, the people of Ohio wanted it. And uh, the media definitely wanted it, especially after he seemed to basically ignore it in the first couple of days. So um, it's funny to me because he's definitely going for politics, not for action. Um, but whatever. I, I think it's a statement that you that he had to say. Yeah, I think, you know, the they, they want it for the viewers and clicks and views, you know, and get those new pictures of somebody who's responsible for things showing up. And so what's he going to do though? He's just, all he's going to do is just create more confusion and, you know, log jams with his motorcade. He's not fixing and, anything. Nope. Yeah. Not at all. And, and you saying that, and that answer is why 
I like this podcast. It's also why I like this interviewer. She stops him. This is, I mean, it's CBS News, but it, I think it was a local uh, show for Ohio. But, sir, you ran for president. You understand politics better than most, and you know the importance of showing up. Why not go sooner to show the people on the ground the efforts being made by the administration? <laughs> it's go. just not... That's not one of those that you would usually get to a secretary, I think, but it was, it's awesome. It's very <laughs> All right. Secretary Pete. Well, again, the administration was on the ground from day one. I have followed the normal practice of transportation secretaries in the early days after a crash, allowing NTSB to lead the safety work and staying out of their way. I'm very eager to have conversations with people in East Palestine about how this has impacted them. Again, when I'm here, the focus is going to be on results. Uh, didn't he just say the opposite of that? He's going to see how the crash impacted them. That's more touchy-feely. Yeah, a little bit. Um, a little bit. Uh, it's going to be on work that needs to be done, because one thing I saw as a mayor dealing with multiple disasters is that there's two kinds of people who show up in the aftermath of a disaster. People are there because they have a specific role to play and they're there to play their role and do the work and help the community and people that are there because they want to be seen being there and they wanted to look good when I'm and they want to look good when I'm there. It's going to be about action ah, and they want to look good, period. When I'm there, it's going to be about action. That's some of the problems about transcripts. Yeah. I'll get them right. I'm not going to I'm not going to do them dirty if we don't have to. <laughs> Um, I think he knew that Trump was going. Yeah, I think he did. Absolutely. That's not something that was a secret. And I, I find, I don't find Trump going bad. I do find the campaign rally, um, mm -hmm. kind of atmosphere bad, but, uh, I, he shouldn't have gone like, I don't know. Not this, not, not this early. I mean, he could have gone in a few months maybe, but not now. Yeah, go in a few months and talk about how they're they're still having problems. Right. Which you know they're a they're a community. They're still going to have problems. Uh, but we have uh, speaker the interviewer again. But we have heard from the mayor. We've heard from residents that want to see representation on the ground. They think that they think that that's important. Can you give us any sort of timeline when you when you may visit? USDOT representation on the ground began within hours of the incident, and I'm looking forward to getting there as well while respecting the independent role of the NTSB. I think it was a last-minute trip that went got planned. I think he left. I think I think he left the interview. He was like, "Fine, book the flight." <laughs> I, the timeline, like that statement, like he would have said, "You know, I'll be there tomorrow." <clears throat> yeah, uh, that it just begged for it, but. He uh, and said he could have even said, like, you know, you're right. I'll get there tomorrow. And that would have been great. It would have made the interviewer's day. Yeah, um, uh, I think it was a last minute flight. Uh, the interviewer again. Do you think the president should visit? Look, right now I'm focused on making sure that we have the tools that are needed on the ground to respond to this. You've got EPA there. You've got our department supporting the NTSB's uh, work there. You've got the CDC, Health and Human Services, there to look after the health side, and we've got to make sure that the agency response continues. I know the president cares a lot about what's happening there. He's spoken to me about it, and we are going to continue doing everything we can to make sure this community is not left behind. 
All right. He talked to the president about it. How do you think the president's conversation with Pete went? Wow. <laughs> I mean, there's several ways. Please don't. Mr. Please president, don't please wait. Up. Please don't put that up for me. <laughs> Mr. President, Softball. please wake up from your nap. Right. Um, I need to talk to you about something. Oh, Petey, what's wrong? Um, I think that it went, Pete, you're messing this up. You need to get there. And I don't want to hear any more about you not being engaged. Probably something like somebody, maybe if the president didn't say that someone in senior staff, uh, maybe had a heart to heart with them. I mean, taking the Biden administration side on this, uh, the crash had already happened. The fire had already been put out. You did have all of these agencies on the ground. Realistically, there's no more that Pete showing up is going to do for anything. There's nothing that the president's going to do for anything. And so it's just politics and Biden knows that. And so the conversation, you know, would have just been about, Hey, are there any findings? Are we going to be able to right. persecute this company and string them up right. and, and, and go after them? Um, you know, I, I've been, but, I'm, unfortunately, I've been in a few uh, significant disaster areas. And the last thing that we needed, and in, in two or three that I'm thinking of specifically, I, I don't need somebody coming around just to get their picture taken and talk to the media. Because there's stuff that needs to be done. Real action, real things need to be done. And I don't need the cameras and the smiling and the handshaking. But uh, that is what politicians do. Uh, when, when do you think of the former president visiting? What do you think of the former president visiting there tomorrow? All right. So he did know. Yeah. Look, I don't know exactly what he's planning to do there, especially since his administration was anti-regulation and pro-industry every step of the way. There are a number of cases where regulation, including safety regulations and regulations that are related to rail, where were either watered down or frozen in place by his administration. But I don't know what he's planning to do there. I do know that we have to work to do. We have work to do that we've been underway. That's been underway from day one of this situation. While the politics will continue to come and go and the grandstanding will come and go, we will be there for the long haul to make sure that this community is supported and to make sure that there's more accountability for the railroad industry in this country. Uh, I think if you took out the regulatory part, because I think that the Biden administration has been in the same boat where they and the uh, Obama administration was in the same boat where um, regulations didn't go through and they didn't go through for the right reason. There was a cost benefit analysis where uh, the cost didn't equal the benefits and there was rules in place for why they were looking at it that way. And so I the attack on the Trump administration is what it is. I think that that hurts things. I think if he would have thrown that out. Just attacking Trump for coming there for grandstanding, I think, would have been a, a powerful move. Yep. Agreed. Interviewer again, are you confident in the nation's railways at this point? Well, what I'll say is that there's been enormous progress, but there's a long way to go. Derailments are about half of what they derailments are about half of what they were at the beginning of the century. But until there are zero, I'm not satisfied. I'm not sure what I think about that line, but it makes me feel like uh, G.W. Bush's mission accomplished speech. Yeah, well, it's not a reasonable thing to 
I get where he's going. I understand where he's trying to say we should target zero derailments, but it's not a, it's actually not a reasonable thing to believe will ever happen. Um, until, until Charlie, where's my flying trains? I want flying cars (laughs) and I want flying trains. It's 2023. We had, there were promises in the 1980s that were made. We, didn't we just celebrate Back to the Future Day like a little bit ago? Uh, it's in October, I think. October 15th, maybe. I'm not sure. It was a while right. back. I don't know. Uh, we have more work to do as a country. We're doing more work as a department, and I'm calling on Congress to act and rail industry to get out of the way. We're, we're going to regulate the heck out of you. Right. Don't pay any attention to what <laughs> you we're go, doing. You go sit in the corner and don't say a word. <laughs> uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter if the cost benefit isn't there right. it doesn't matter whether deregulation will make life better for other people it doesn't matter it doesn't matter uh just sit down and shut up right uh interviewer just in recent months we've seen air traffic control systems melt down we've had a few near collisions at airports we've had this uh we had this train derailment Prior to the infrastructure bill, we were seeing bridges collapsing. What do you say to Americans who say they're just not sure if it's safe to move around freely around this country right now? Is the administration really meeting Americans where they are on these issues? Where did this person go to school? It's awesome, right? (laughs) She just comes after the guy. And that's... Honestly, that's where this got to politically, right? Yeah. This was so bad that this this interviewer just feels she she has full reign to go after him right. as much as she wants to. Right. He answers, this is one of the reasons we fought so hard to get infrastructure funding. You saw bridges. I thought it was for to tackle inflation. Oh, guess not. Uh, you saw bridges collapsing in the United States of America and decades of underinvestment catching up to us. Uh, he's right. And that was why Trump should have passed an infrastructure bill. Um, we are making an investment that is long overdue in our infrastructure in order to maintain safety, just as we are working to maintain safety in the aviation system. A remarkable fact that a form of transportation that involves flying through the air nearly at the speed of sound has the safety record that it does, where in most recent years there has been zero passenger uh where in most recent years there has been zero passenger fatalities on airlines. There's more to do on rail. I am particularly concerned about roadway safety in this country. <laughs> this is awesome. I, I forgot about this one. There is more to do on rail. I am particularly concerned about roadway safety in this country, which often gets less attention, but claims 40,000 lives a year. We can't treat that as normal or as a cost of doing business. So he's talking about not going to Palestine. He's facing problems for talking about equality in the transportation system and in the Department of Transportation uh, versus dealing with the the lives that were affected by the derailment in Ohio. And in this... He moves off of trains and talks about, but realistically, we need to make uh, the roadways safer because that's taking a lot more lives. I think that that's a that is a bold move. Yeah. Well, you know, I fly a lot. I've flown a lot for years and years, and I have people I run across and they're not comfortable on the airplane, right? They're they're afraid of flying. 
And they really yep. hate it when I remind them you're more likely to die on your way to the airport than you are on the airplane. They hate me when I say that. But. <laughs> <laughs> now, now they're scared of driving. Right, exactly. Kelly, helping out the, yeah. the anxiety <laughs> uh, markets across the U.S. Uh, like Mr. Rogers said, look for the helpers. That's me. That's why, whether we're talking about road, rail, or air, or any other form of transportation, we are squarely focused on safety in the U.S. Department of Transportation. We always will be. Uh, if you would have put that under Carter, he would have said uh, making them uh, more efficient and by removing regulations. There you go. Interviewer again, I just have to ask, because it does... It did take you a couple of days to respond publicly or several days to respond publicly to this particular incident. Do you wish you would have spoken out sooner? I mean, it's awesome. That's a good question. Yes, yeah. I was focused on just making sure that our folks on the ground were all set, but could have spoken sooner about how strongly I felt about this incident. That's a lesson learned from me. All right, Mr. Secretary. Thank you for that. Of course, we are thinking about everybody on the ground in East Palestine. We appreciate your time. Pete, thank you. Take care. Um, I think we saw his frustration with that when he said, look. Yeah. <laughs> look. And he tried tried to put the interviewer in her place while being on air, but he about blew up and had a Biden moment well, at that instant. She was prepared. She knew what she was yeah. going to talk about. She had done her research, I think he, it feels to me like he kind of came in and thought he was going to wing it a little bit. This is my opinion. And, uh, you know, maybe be secretary of transportation and let the gravitas of that flow through the interview. And, and she wasn't having it. She, that was good questions. I want to know where she went to school. <laughs> she might be a Mizzou journalism graduate. You never know. Yeah, and that might have been on CBS. It might not have been local. I'll, I'll, it sounds like it was. You can't be that harsh. I maybe I don't know. It's oh no, crazy to think of. Oh, these local folks—they don't want to stay there forever. They're looking to move up to the next biggest city and then to the network. So that's how you, you get you get an interview with the Secretary of Transportation. You're going to go for it, I think. Unless you you're a hack. <laughs> I I like it. Yeah. I don't know. I liked it either way. I. I think that this is just a, uh, it's a political 